The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the Internet of Things, and we are so thrilled to be having uh, an expert on this, uh, an attorney that's joining us from San Francisco. We'll be speaking this morning with Juwan Kim Serrato, and she's an attorney and head of Global Privacy and Data Protection with that group in uh, with the with the law firm of Sherman and Sterling LLP. She advises companies on privacy, cybersecurity, data protection, and crisis management issues. She has extensive experience in developing and structuring comprehensive data and trade secret protection programs, and she implements and tests information security controls, and she helps companies mitigate cyber risks, and she handles helps them handle data breaches. So, boy, this is really an important uh issue and she deals with so many different aspects of privacy. We're so thrilled to have you, Juwan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mari. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Internet of Things or IoT as they call it. Let's uh, kind of explain what it is for those consumers who are driving by who don't really know what we're talking about. They're using it all the time, but they don't know what we're talking about maybe. Sure. Uh, the term Internet of Things or IoT has uh, become popularized, I would say, in the last couple of years. Uh, generally, it, the term is used to describe everyday consumer objects or industrial equipment that is connected to the Internet. And it is collecting data and also sending data and transmitting the data to, to some other entity or, or companies. Uh, some examples of IoT devices that we've seen uh, in recent days is things like connected refrigerators or smart thermostat, let's say, in what we call connected home, or wearables. Uh, We've seen uh, fitness uh, health uh, trackers um, and those types of things that are wearable on the person that is connected to the Internet, Uh, or connected cities where you have uh, smart traffic lights. Uh, or connected cars. Um, and so those are the kinds of examples of what um, IoT devices that we have seen um, get. Uh, and, and the 
types of uh, IoT devices have become quite diversified, and the number of IoT devices that we have currently have uh, dramatically increased. Uh, they are estimating that we could expect to see upwards of 20 billion connected devices by 2020. Wow. So let's talk about some of the privacy and security issues that become involved with IoT. Sure. Um, and the privacy and security questions with IoT uh, is uh, really uh, because of the type of data that these devices might be collecting. In order to do what it is designed to do, which essentially is to, let's say, make uh, life easier or make certain functions more efficient, in order to do that, they require data. And the kinds of tasks that these connected devices are doing sometimes happen in, uh, let's say, privacy of a home or in the privacy of your uh, vehicle. And your homes and vehicles um, tend to be what we consider to be private spaces. And because the data that they are collecting could be considered sensitive um, if it is shared with uh, persons that are not authorized to have that type of data, privacy and security issues come up uh, quite frequently. And uh, we have seen in the last couple of years some incidents incident where these kinds of privacy and security, uh, uh, I guess, vulnerabilities have been exploited. And, and last fall, we've seen even a case where uh, the uh, malware is a type of a virus that was used to affect uh, a number, thousands of of these kinds of IoT devices, and they were used to compromise the computer network by basically taking over them. Uh, so it's called botnet, and uh, I guess it's described as a zombie computer. So that kind of uh, attack could be possible where these IoT devices uh, do not have kind of the adequate level of security, and they can uh, be exploited to cause damage on the privacy side in terms of sensitive data, hence, but also on security. Yeah, you know. I think about the Internet of Things with people who have um, maybe pacemakers or other health devices that uh, maybe give you more insulin or not, you know, Um, that could be very dangerous. And maybe even if somebody hacked into that, they could really destroy someone or kill them or get them very sick or something. So is that one of the things that people are concerned about as well? That's exactly right. And really, those kinds of scenarios uh, are, are something that a lot of these manufacturers and companies are thinking about. Um, again, the connectivity um, is supposed to make uh, these products better. Um, it's supposed to, because let's say the pacemaker, for example, some kind of a health uh, device tracker could be beneficial, um, let's say, sure. if that is connected to an emergency uh, service provider. But if it is hacked, and we're seeing more and more that if, if the devices do not have the right level of security, uh, then they can be vulnerable to, to attack and can be remotely trolled and uh, could lead to those of uh, situations. You know, I would imagine that many of your clients are just overwhelmed because the hackers seem to be so devious to be able to um, just infiltrate so many of these, uh, you know, government agencies and really high-powered companies. I mean, what are they? What are they telling? I mean, can can they assure security? I think it is very difficult to assure security, but uh, there are uh, many things that companies can do and and, and entities can do. Uh, 
uh, to have you know basic level of security. So I think there are some some steps that every company, uh, for example, understanding what kind of data is collected and and knowing that security features are built in. So the term that we talk about a lot um, in our uh, world is, is privacy or security by design. And uh, I think the difficulty in in looking at these kinds of threats and challenges is that uh, the the technology team, so the the code writers, the software developers, they're on the one hand kind of meeting a business need that says that we would like this device to connect to the internet and we would like to do X, Y, and function. Right. On the flip side, the compliance team and the legal team should really be working with the technology team, thinking about the what if scenario. You know, what are the kinds of worst case scenarios that could happen? What are the types of vulnerabilities because uh, we're trying to fit business uh, function? So I think that is uh, the challenge is that the technology that is given a certain charge to build a product really needs to be working with the legal and client team. And sometimes uh, that kind of conversation not done uh, perhaps right Right. Now. And when you were talking about privacy by design is building into the architecture of whatever product or service you're um, implementing so that you think ahead of time to prevent this rather than trying to fix it later, right? That's exactly right. And uh, I think it's really multifaceted. And that's why I think privacy and security becomes uh, what I call a team sport. Uh, you know, and you, it is absolutely important to think about these things proactively rather than reactively. Uh, but I think it, it's difficult to think about all the different scenarios. And so I think it's good to have uh, a, you know, a governance uh, program, a risk program that documents I mean, how the company is thoughtfully uh, kind of looking at this and documenting what kinds of scenarios and, and threats have been examined. Because uh, not everyone, I mean, it, it's just going to be impossible about every fail. Exactly. <clears throat> now, there's been a fair amount of press coverage about the so-called Teddy Bear and Toaster Act. So can we talk a little bit about the proposed legislation in California Senate, Senate Bill 327. Tell us about that bill and what it's trying to achieve. Sure. Uh, it's been in the press quite a bit in California, and uh, it would be, I think, uh, what we consider to be kind of a first of kind, a first of its kind in terms of trying to uh, put legislation in uh, looking at IoT devices. Specifically. And I understand that SB 327 is currently on hold, um, and so it is not, uh, it has not been passed, not law yet, but it is uh, giving some uh, good uh, good ideas about what the California legislature and the legislators are thinking about and also uh, give some good insight to perhaps some other state that might be looking to question. The bill uh, is uh, is designed to, to provide some amount of minimum security standard uh, to promote consumer privacy and to increase security of bio devices. Yeah. Hello? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I lost you for a second. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so how would, um, let's talk about some of the most important part of the proposed bill that might really interest consumers? Sure. Uh, there are, I would say that there are three kind of uh, parts of the bill that might be notable. Uh, one is that the bill requires, or bill will require, um, as it is currently drafted, reasonable security, that the appropriate nature of the device and the information like and trans. And that standard reasonable, quote unquote, is interesting uh, because on the one hand, I think some of the, the advocacy groups would have wanted something more concrete rather than uh, the standard of reasonable. But that reasonable standard is the same as kind of what the Federal Trade Commission at the federal level has using. So it is in line with some of the thought that the federal regulator um, has been putting uh, in the look standard and that uh, this bill would make it a requirement to have that kind of standard uh, but to the, uh, for the IoT devices, but leaves it open in terms of the, the how. Um, 
how the manufacturers of iAdvice implement security. The so, second uh, yeah. area Let is, me just ask you a little bit about that. Sure. So are there like um, groups of industry groups that are getting together about what those standards might be, developing like reasonable standards of their own so that everybody has some idea of what is it, the expectation? Absolutely. There are several associations and trade and industry groups uh, thinking about what is reasonable standards. I think the difficulty is that each of the devices are different. Yeah. They work differently. They collect different types of data. They uh, transmit different types of data. And so the worry in having one standard um, is that the standard itself will get outdated quickly. Right. And so I think that is kind of the, the tight uh, you know, rope walk that uh, the regulators and legislators are looking at is that one, you want to have some kind of regulatory oversight, but uh, you don't want the standard to uh, dampen innovation or to be so inflexible that it is uh, not going to work for the technology that is developing. Right. And as it improves, you don't want to be stuck with an old standard. So that That's makes, exactly right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So uh, how would the passage of this bill affect connected devices in the U.S. market? I think it's going to, if it is passed, it's going to change uh, or it's going to at least require uh, kind of the, the cross-functional discussions that I just uh, described. Yeah. Uh, because if you look at uh, the, the kinds of security de- uh, security control that this bill requires, and uh, and also the second part of the bill is that it requires consent uh, to be built in uh, so that the consumers are given notice about what data is collected and that they are giving that to their data being uh, being like processed. And so what that means is that the product development team and the tech manufacturers would have to work with the legal and compliance because the legal and compliance team will probably be responsible for drafting those notices and, and uh, looking at what is the, the appro- appropriate way of getting consent. Whereas the technical team would have to build those trolls in. That kind of makes the, the privacy design uh, come into uh, come live. And also another uh, aspect to think about is uh, the multiplicity of, of actors. IoT devices will not only have the relationship between consumer and the manufacturer, but obviously with, with the vendors, um, the retail vendors, and the software developers, and just a number of third-party actors that are involved building kinds of devices and handling the data uh, that is collected by the devices uh, means that uh, the manufacturers need to think about how to put a program together that works across the entire system and, and still meet the bills. Uh, the right, and who are they going to share all this information as well? That seems Absolutely. to me a, a huge issue. Um, you know, when you know, people worry about when information is being collected in their car, who is it going to share it? insurance company with law enforcement, whomever. So, yeah, it's uh, very, very fascinating stuff. How, how does this bill compare to the recent U.S. bill, Internet of the Cybersecurity Improvement Act of 2017? The Internet of Things Cybersecurity Improvement Act was uh, was uh, introduced uh, just this past uh, August 1, and it is uh, it is uh, designed to establish minimum cybersecurity standards for contractors provide connected devices to the federal government. So one thing of note is that it is limited to uh, the federal government and the devices that we purchase by the federal government. Mm. What is interesting and the reason that this bill is being discussed um, at the same time that the Cal State bill um, is being discussed is that this uh, shows that there is interest in both the state level and the federal level in looking at iOcurity. And that is perhaps uh, because of the botnet attack that I, I mentioned last year. I think it really did um, gain kind of the attention of the legislators at federal and, and state level. And so the one main difference uh, with the federal bill here um, is 
is that it would be limited contractors who provide device government, but the, the basic components of it is similar in a sense that it does have some clauses that it requires contract uh, with federal agencies uh, that, dev- that produce internet devices to have certification that uh, the security uh, program is in place, uh, that the devices do not gain any known security vulnerabilities, um, or that they would have the ability to uh, fix any uh, any security vulnerabilities by updating the patches. So the design and the goal of the bill is similar, but it would only apply contractors. Um, I see. So uh, Senate Bill 327 really be, um, would that apply to state agencies as well as private agencies? Let me think about that. Yeah. Uh, so the bill that I was describing is the U.S. Senate bill, and you're asking about the California. Now I was going back. Bill. Yeah, you were saying that the, <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to confuse you, but um, you were talking about the U.S. Senate bill, which applies only to contractors that deal with federal agencies, right? Right. So I was wondering about the state, California state bill. Does that apply to state contractors as well as private contractors? I mean, state agencies as well? Yes. So the, so the California legislature would have jurisdiction over the devices that are sold in California. So okay. to the extent that the state agencies are purchasing uh, these connected devices, use the state of California, that would apply. I see. Okay. And how about um, besides legislation, what other federal guidance do we have on this? Do we have the Federal Trade Commission, the FCC? Who else is dealing with this besides just legislation? That's exactly right. I would say the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission, and the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, are the two key regulators that have uh, have shown interest and have some action in regulating in IoT. FTC, uh, F- the Federal Trade Commission, had brought an enforcement action against an IoT company going back to 2014. And it has a number of IoT-related uh, companies um, that they have brought uh, enforcement actions against uh, when they have covered, for example, when a, a laptop camera is doing surreptitious uh, video camera surveillance or when a smart TV is lacking viewing three data um, or when a computer system has a security failure in its router. So those are the kinds of um, kind of uh, guidance that the FD is putting forward, but um, but the the difficulty in looking at these enforcement actions is that uh, they are uh, really uh, designed for the manufacturers to learn from the mistakes of others, and there is no specific law that they point to to look at, for example, what is a definitional standard. So uh, the the authority that FD uses to bring these enforcement actions are quite broad. Uh, it is Section 5 of FD Act, the Federal Trade Mission Act, and it um, it allows the FTC to bring cases, enforcement actions against companies for unfair or deceptive act or practice in or of spec commerce. So as you can see, it's a, it's a quite a broad right. authority, and uh, it is uh, it, it has been used quite effectively by the FTC to bring this enforcement action. But there is no uh, there is no kind of national standard by which the company can follow. Um, the FCC, the Federal Commission, on the other hand, has been looking at the IoT security issues uh, in terms of what internet service providers um, uh, should be doing because the connected devices obviously are on the internet, and uh, the FCC's jurisdiction be look at the responsibility of ISP to take some steps to make the patient's network more resilient. Uh, so this is pretty hard for many of your clients who, are, who have to uh, deal with the FCC and the FTC and all the legislation across the country, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. And, and I think that is true for all privacy questions. Yes. Um, and it is true for not just IoT specifically, uh, but for any privacy question in the U.S., it is fragmented in a sense that there's no one national standard. There is uh, not even one definition of personal information, uh, to, to give you an example. And so there could be, you know, all 50 states have different definitions of what they consider to be sensitive and personal information. They have all different standards for how that should be protected, um, how data breach should be reported. And um, and then in, in the federal world, uh, there are sectoral laws. There, there are over 20 laws that govern different types of data and in different jurisdictions. So health data is governed in one way versus children's data versus financial data. Well, that's going to keep you in business a long time and keep you up at night, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, before joining Sherman, I was chief privacy officer at at, uh, two different companies, and uh, so it is. It has definitely been uh, in the last decade we have seen the the work of the privacy uh, practice change. I think uh, from from being owned by IT to becoming more of a legal and, and client question. Yeah, you know, for you know, our show airs at the University of California Irvine, but of course we have many business people that drive by and listen in. But just for those people who um, are maybe graduate students or something, tell them. A little bit about if you can share a little bit about being the chief privacy officer because I think that's always so fascinating. Bill. Sure. Um, in the U.S., a chief privacy officer is is more and more becoming uh, a position that you would see uh, in in major uh, big companies. And uh, that title uh, in Europe, for example, or outside of the U.S., is called data protection officer. So I think that I just uh, give that as an example of perhaps uh, a, a better way of describing. Uh, Chief Privacy Officer's role is think about data. And uh, so the role of a CPO or a DPO um, is usually uh, done by somebody who understands the technology, but is also uh, very comfortable with or familiar with the laws, regulations that govern the data and the technology. And so uh, my my job uh, before joining Sherman would have been to to do to have these kinds of conversations that we're talking about, uh, with our engineering team, with the product uh, development team, thinking about what kinds of data is being collected, how it's moving throughout the enterprise, and where it's going, to which third party, for example, going, and what rules you need to have in place. So that's on the private. On the security side, it would be about thinking about what kinds of vulnerabilities the device, the custom product, or the service would have, and uh, putting uh, controls in place so that the, the threats are mitigated, and that um, also you're able to detect that certain threats um, have been um, uh, exited. That's, that's a lot of hats to wear, too. We don't have, uh, we only have about two minutes left. I would like you to just address a little bit about practical tips for how a consumer can better educate themselves about IoT and collections and knowing how to kind of protect themselves. Sure. Um, I think this, these kinds of news stories have really been hitting the newsstand. And so I think the, I, I would think about individuals and I, I'm also thinking about parents. Uh, the questions about toys uh, that are interactive and that are connected to the internet and that might be collect data about children. I think that is a special case of, of uh, kinds of concerns that perhaps parents would think about. So one thing that the consumers can do um, is to, to read about types of data that is collected uh, by the device that you bring home. So um, I am obviously a lawyer and obviously a privacy and technology lawyer, so I actually read the privacy policies right, right. <laughs> that are posted. <laughs> Not a lot of people do, right. um, but 
it, it actually can provide a fair bit of, of information about what kind of information is collected and how it's used and to whom it is sent. And usually when you read the privacy policy at the bottom of it, it should have a contact information of somebody you can uh, call or send an email to if you don't understand a certain certain language that including the privacy. One thing that is also interesting about California bill is that uh, I think more and more the regulators and the legislators are looking into and also the, the technology advocacy groups are looking into providing this type of notice in a way that is more interactive. So it's not just paper-based, but uh, could we provide notice with flashing light, for example, or some kind of audio uh, visual cue. So I think um, these kinds of uh, ways to look out for privacy notices, search them out, read them, uh, but also see how this area is developing. Um, just being aware, I think, of the kinds of devices that, that are connected and uh, could be a vulnerability to your home and to your family right. uh, is first step. Well, thank you so much. Just give your website and it's time to go and people can go to your website and see what they can find out about more issues on IoT. Sure. Uh, privacy.sherman.com is our website. Wonderful. Great job. And we hope to have you back again, Juwan. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank Jonas. Every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Fighting for Love, Turn Conflict into Collaboration, which airs every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. And I'm so pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And we're welcoming back Sarah Kaminsky, who is Assistant Emergency Manager at the Orange County Sheriff's Department. And she wears lots of hats. She's responsible for public information and education, and she also is responsible for nuclear emergency planning for the uh, San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station, for uh, emergency planning for people with disabilities, access and functional needs, and countywide support for emergency planning, preparedness, and response. And she's been with the department for over seven and a half years. Thank you again for joining us, Sarah. Thank you for having me back. Well, yeah, so we talked last time about really what is the Emergency Management Division, but I think what's really important is to help the community to know how they can get involved, what they should do, because, you know, if there was some kind of earthquake or major issue, we'd all have to do our part. So why don't you uh, tell us how we can get prepared? Well, here's an interesting statistic. A 2013 survey found that only 19% of American families felt that they were very prepared for a disaster. Mm. And still, there are many resources available for family disaster preparedness. So public education campaigns for emergency preparedness, they need to grow. They need to promote strategies for helping our communities get more prepared for emergency situations. And while most things about disasters are unpredictable, there's one element that is predictable. Disasters are going to happen, and no region is exempt from risk. 
so community members should keep in mind that the basic theme behind preparedness is to be ready for an emergency, and there are a number of different variations based on what the threats are. So our message is this. Familiarize yourself with local hazards and make a family emergency plan that should include what to do when your family is together and what to do when your family is apart. And where do you start? Orange County has some great resources, Mari. Um, Number one, get a kit. And where do you go to find out what should be in a kit? Readyoc.org. And that's the Orange County Emergency Preparedness website. And you don't have to start big. Start small. This week, buy your emergency water, one gallon per person per day for a minimum of three days. And each week, buy something new, and there you go. You're on your way to having an emergency kit. And be informed. During an emergency, pay attention to what's happening and be prepared to follow the instruction of first responders. But sign up now for the Orange County Mass Notification System at alertoc.com. And during emergencies, you will receive the alerts from local government officials. And lastly, get involved. Check your city's website and look for community emergency response team training. Become a trained disaster volunteer. And let's each do our part to make Orange County disaster strong. Oh, yes, it's so important. And I know my husband and I took CERT training with the Sheriff's Department, and it was great. And I, you know, you forget it if you've done it. So I have to do it again. So you're so right. And everybody remember, go to readyoc.org and alertoc.com and thank you for the great work that you're doing Sarah we really appreciate how you're trying to really protect us so thank you again thank you Mari bye